embarrassed, my daughter Maggie is here and my favorite mother-in-law, Claire. If you guys would stand up so everybody could see you. Maggie comes here when she's not at college. She's at Reinhardt. And also my brother Mark Mosley and his wife Jen Mosley are here and uh, they are missionaries in Southeast Asia. If I told you what country, I'd have to kill you, but if you guys would stand up and they're leaving for that place tomorrow. And I'm, I'm uh, as I was just entering into worship, I was just thankful to God for um, my mother who never stopped praying for us as children, and um, I'm just blessed because of her faithful prayers and for the church uh, that I grew up in that, that wrapped their arms around me. Bob and Kay Cagle are sitting here on the front row, and they were instrumental in discipling myself as well as Mark in those days when Mark wanted to be discipled and then he decided to go another route for a few years and uh, God brought him back. So now I say my brother and I are Boanerges. We are the sons of thunder and uh, I thank God for his faithfulness in doing that. Let me just tell you a little bit uh, I shared in the first service um, and just so you know uh, I asked Brandon how long I should go and he said about 30 minutes, and then I realized he has a whole other sermon that he's going to preach to you after I'm done. So I think he used uh, Romans 10, John 1, Isaiah 6. Um, anyway, just prepare yourself for two sermons this morning, um, and we'll do a little competition to see, you know, which one. No, I'm just kidding. He is, uh, this is Mission Sunday. Amen? You guys excited? And you're terrified that maybe God's going to call you to some far-flung field of foreign service. Oh, God, please don't send me to Africa. You know, um, but it's exciting to see that, that God is uh, at work and moving amongst us. And I want to just take a moment and go through this little pamphlet with you. Um, the first thing I wanted to remind you is that the first thing mentioned, you guys all have this little piece of paper? Anybody? Everybody? Uh, you guys awake? Everybody here? Hello. Y'all got it? The first one you see on there is not South Carolina. It's just a little misprint. It's actually Columbia, C-O-L-O-M-B-I-A, but it's, it's spelled correctly underneath it, but it's, it is Columbia. Those of you that want to be drug dealers um, are going to be going there to see how the cartels work, and uh, praise the Lord. Um, but I wanted just to encourage you, and, and Brandon is going to share a little bit after this, um, about short-term missions and what impact they have on us in general. And, and one of the things that, that we challenge you today is that, that you would be open to God's Spirit. And there may be uh, one of these places that God's going to put on your heart, and maybe not. Maybe God's calling you to be um, locally here in the Marietta area, Cobb County, or somewhere in the general vicinity of Georgia. Um, but I will say this, that those of the people that I've known that have gone on short-term mission trips, God has almost always done something incredibly powerful in their lives as a result of that great step of faith. Even though you may not sense God's thunderous call to say, you've got to go to Guatemala or you've got to go to Scotland, you know, um, but when that does happen and you say, okay, God, I, you know, I'm just going to take a, a leap of faith here and trust you, God does incredible things. So I want to encourage you and challenge you that you'd be open to God's Spirit, that, that as we go through these 
names. I want us just to repeat them out and, and that the Lord would lay on your heart perhaps one of these places that he's wanting you to go and experience him in a new and fresh way. So this is the question. God, would you be calling me, and then would you just repeat with me to Colombia? Say Colombia. Guatemala. Costa Rica. Israel. Egypt. New Orleans. Scotland. Latin America. Suriname. Romania, Ukraine, Kentucky, Tanzania, or Nicaragua? Would you pray with me right now? God, as we do focus in on your world and on the, the places that you've laid on Stonebridge Church Ministry, Lord, would you minister to us, would you speak to us that perhaps you would be calling us to one of these places or perhaps various of these places that you would want us to be involved in. Lord, I pray that you would truly minister to us by the power of your word. And we want to give you the praise and glory for all these places and for the people that you've called us to minister to. And Lord, we also realize that these people are also called to minister to us as well. So be with us in this time and we bless you and thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to share a little bit. Um, Brandon calls me Mike. And uh, for 44 years, I was known as Mike Mosley. And uh, in 2005, I was in Ghana, West Africa, where my wife and I served from 1999 to 2010. And right in the heart of that time of ministry, I came back to the U.S. to do like a five-week tear of just speaking in churches. And I found myself basically spiraling out of control. I found myself in a very needy place, a very desperate place. And so I sought out some counseling and went to that. And in the midst of that, God really um, revealed some very powerful things to me and spoke to me. And one of the things he said to me in the midst of that was, I want to put my name back in your name. And, uh, and, and he said, I want no stone unturned in your life so that I'm in everything that you are. And so in 2005, I, you know, had the weirdest thing where I was like, okay, it's Mike all my life. My mama named me James Michael, but she called me Mike, and now it's Michael. And I, I think I wrote an email to Claire and said, God told me to change my name to Michael, and she said, this is really weird. But um, that's what happened, and I, I stuck with it, and Brandon still calls me Mike, but I don't care. If you call me Mike, I'm not going to go, excuse me, that's not the name that I have now. Um, he'll still probably do it again, but that's okay. Just forgive him. But anyway, it's, um, it's just one of those things that, that God, you know, in the Hebrew, just so you know, Mikael means who is like God. And the name El is the name of God, like Elohim, El Shaddai. That's the name of God. And so that's how I came to be Michael. And uh, that's who I am and how God made me. And secondly, just to let you know a little bit about what I do, some people say, hey, are you still in Ghana? Are you still in missions? And I'm still very much in missions. I now um, train pastors and lay leaders all over the world in missions, and that's really what I do. We came back from the mission field in Ghana in 2010, January, did about eight months of deputation, and in September I started uh, my job as the director of international mobilization at the Mission Society, the mission organization I work with out of Norcross, Georgia, and so I travel many, many places um, training pastors and lay people. 
And so I will um, continue to do that. At the same time, I'm also trying to finish a PhD. I know when you think of, those of you who know me, you think he's really PhD material. <laughs> Not. Um, you know, it's like those, you know, heady, you know, learn the facts kind of thing. It's just not me at all. But at the same time, you know, I was in a, a weird moment in 2006 when this opportunity afforded itself to me. And I go to a school in Ghana. And so I'll be heading back there in November to do more research and present a paper. And I covet your prayers that I will finish this monster by June of next year and present it and then uh, graduate in December. So I covet your prayers, church family, that I'll get that done. Say amen. amen. So um, that's all for the information. Um, as we look at Missions Sunday, um, I'm, I'm reminded of the last words of Jesus. And uh, I'll never forget January 20th, 1995. I... Uh, my dad was dying of pancreatic cancer, and it was a Friday, and I was a youth pastor of First Methodist right down the road where David was intern, and um, I was there about to leave on a retreat, and I came to see my dad off. He was staying at my sister's house, and his body was emaciated, and he was literally very close to death, but I, I climbed up on his bed, got as close to him as I could, and I said, Daddy, I love you, and he said, Son, I love you too. Be careful. And uh, he always knew me to be a little bit rambunctious. In fact, his nickname for me as a young child was Crowbar because everything I touched seemed to break. Um, but, but his last words to me were, Michael, I love you. Son, I love you. Be careful. And I grew up all my life telling my dad I loved him most of the time. And, and he always would say to me, son, that's a two-way street. But in the latter part of his life, I saw God break that crusty old man's heart and his mind and saw him embrace the love of Jesus so that he was able to say to me as his son, son, I love you too. And those last words are so important to me because I came back from the retreat on Sunday night, went to work on Monday, and on Monday evening we got the call that he was very close to death, all gathered at my sister's house, and I got to be there with my dad as I held his hand and he breathed his last. So I got to walk with him from this world into the next, just to be there with him. And I think about in my Ghanaian context how Ghanaians love to be with their elderly people when they're dying, to hear what are those last words. Sometimes they sing a hymn. Sometimes they say, you know, I see a great light. And I know many of you have probably had that experience of being around loved ones when they say their last words and how important and special they are. I know of one, my Ghanaian daddy, Sammy Ordano, um, was very close to a, a big businessman and some of his relatives were there when he died and he had never surrendered his heart to Jesus and they said that when he was dying he literally screamed in horror as he went from this world into the next. And, and I just think about last words and how important they are and I want us to focus in on these two passages that Jesus spoke. The first being Matthew 28 uh, verses 18 and 19. I was going to bring my Bible up here but you got it in, in front of you. So... Uh, it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let me just share with you a couple of thoughts about this. 
when, when Jesus brought these disciples together in this place, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, as I think about Jesus making that statement, it, it, it includes everything that I can imagine. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, I think it covers everything, doesn't it? And he says, it's been given to me. It's a powerful statement as he's saying to these disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then there's that little word, therefore. It took me three years, 90 semester hours of learning that in seminary you ask what the therefore is, therefore. Amen? And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and he says, therefore, what I believe he was saying in that therefore is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you and to you and to you. And yet when I look at the church, men and women, I believe that many of us, we only want to take a portion of that. We only want to take pieces of it and we don't really want to fully accept what Jesus was saying when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And that you would understand today that God says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Amen? And that He wants you to be so filled with His presence that you understand this great responsibility that He's given you, not to, to, to be proud or to be boastful or anything like that, but to simply say, if Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then also it's been given to us. Amen? So that would be my first piece for you, that God would say to you this morning, don't make excuses anymore. Realize how holy and powerful this word is for you, not just for Jesus, but for you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And then he says, therefore what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you a question this morning, church. How many of you are actively involved in discipling people? Just share. Hands are going up all over the place. Pastor David, you would be shocked at the multitudes of hands that are going up. And you know what, church? This is my bread and butter sermon that I preach in every church because, I mean, it's not the only sermon I can preach, but it's the one that I preach most when I travel all over the nation and all over the world. I preach this all over the world. And every time I ask that question, Five, ten hands out of 150 come up. One percent, five percent. And these are Jesus' last words to us. Amen? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And when I ask the, the church, how many of us are actively involved in discipleship, we're kind of like, hmm. And I believe, church, the reality is we have condemned ourselves out of being disciplers. We've condemned ourselves because we're not seminary educated. Say amen. Say thank God. <laughs> Secondly, you know, we haven't read the full Bible in a week and we don't understand all the concepts therein. Say amen. And maybe some of you cuss last week. So you say, really, I can't be a discipler. <laughs> hello. When I say hello, you say hi. 
just reminds me of Africa. Hello. Good. And it also keeps you awake. But, but Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, I believe we in the church, we just are terrified of making disciples. We don't feel like we're qualified. We don't feel like we're adequate. We don't feel like we're whatever it is. I don't, I don't know what that is. But I see in the church this great void when Jesus is speaking his last words to his disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations that we just kind of go, that's not my gig. I just don't, I'm not qualified enough. There's a qualification that eliminates us from that. And I want to hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, create a little bit of heresy, a little bit of challenge to your mentality, that, that we could take that word and change it from discipleship to friendship. How many of you all can make friends? Let me see your hands. Wow, every one of you. It's amazing, isn't it? And I'm not talking about Facebook confirm. You know, it's like, you know, I can confirm. That's my friend. I love now they have that little qualifier. Close friend or acquaintance, you know. But the reality is every one of us can make friends. And I want to encourage you and challenge you and, 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 and pray by the Holy Spirit that God would change your heart about what it means to disciple. That He would give you a passion about making friends with lost people. That, that He would take you out of some of that comfort zone that we have in our Christianese world that we live in and we insulate ourselves from lost people. That's one of the things I love about how God made me is that I love lost people. I love them. I love pagans. I love people that cuss. Not because I cuss, because, you know, in old youth ministry days I did cuss, and I will confess my sin that I have done that before as a youth pastor. I just... You know, I've done that. I was just with Jason and Felicia Winkle in Thailand, and it's like, oh, I remember that, like yesterday. He didn't remember anything else that happened except that I cussed, you know. But I'm just saying that, that I love lost people. I go to my buddy's church in California, Santa Rosa, California, the heart of wine country. And I won't talk about wine. I think Kim's got the beer stein under control there. Um, but... In that place, it's like people in California, they really don't know Jesus. I don't know if any of you have traveled to California, you've been there, but it's like a unless you're in Southern California, like among Rick Warren's church, you go to Northern California from San Francisco up, it's like Paganville. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't, but just believe me. And I go to his church, and it's like people in Northern California, like, they're like angry at God. They're angry at the church. And so my buddy puts a sign out in front of his church and he says, the church for people who don't like church. So it's like people just flock here to see what the deal is going on here. And they walk in and I see these just pagans, you know, I'm getting ready to speak and I'm standing in the back and they're like, dude, I've never been in a church before. This is awesome. You know, they got the little Frappuccino machine going and it's stadium style seating and they got popcorn and if it's, you know, these guys are really weird and it's San Francisco. And so right in the middle of my buddy's sermon, he'll go, well, let's just see how the 49ers are doing. And he'll put up a thing of the 49ers. And, you know, people are like, dude, this is awesome, you know. But they're just trying to reach lost people. You know, they're just trying to be friends to the lost people. And I think so many times we as the church, we feel like we got to cram the Bible down people's throats to get them to know Jesus. And we've lost that 
that simple little passionate thing about just being friends with lost people. One of my buddies is a guy named Steve Mersinger. He's a missionary down in Brazil. And if, if you saw Steve, I mean, he's just, I like to say, he's a gnarly dude. You know, he's got this real full, scruffy beard. He's real bulky. And I said, you know, he looks kind of like Junior, but different, you know, just kind of gnarly. If you all know Junior, I mean, he's just, you know, he's just kind of a gnarly dude. I gave Junior heat, and he, he, I, I said I'm sorry, and he forgave me, so I thought I'd abuse him again. But, but it's amazing. Steve, he, he shares this testimony. Many places that he goes, people share Christ with him. You know what I'm talking about? He looks lost. I mean, he just looks lost. So people, he gets on an airplane and, excuse me, brother, can I share some things with you? And this one time he's on this airplane and this guy was like, he must have just come out of his EE course and he sits down and he goes, excuse me, brother, can I share a few um, comments or questions with you? And Steve's like, yeah, okay. And he's already had like two or three people share Christ with him before. So he's like, I'm going to play along with the guy. And he goes, you know, brother, have you ever come to a place in your life where if you were to die, you would be, you know, where you would be with God, you know, whatever. And Steve's like, no, dude, he just plays along. I don't know. You know, I really don't, under, you know. So the guy goes through this like 20-minute spiel, and he gets to the end, and he goes, um, excuse me, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And Steve finally goes, um, okay, dude, uh, game over. I just want you to know I'm one of you. And he goes, huh? He goes, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a believer. I accepted Jesus, you know, many years ago. I'm one of you. And he goes, oh, wow. And he goes, Steve says, can I ask you one question? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what's my name? And he goes, I didn't get to that. And, and, And men and women, I want to encourage you that as we share our faith, that you would just become friends with the world. Not that you would compromise Amen? But that you would become friends with people who are lost. And I have three simple questions that I think are very effective in us getting to know lost people. Are you ready? First question is this. What's your name? Just simply, what's your name? And you know, when we think about this, sometimes you think, well, Michael, you're the most extroverted extrovert on the planet. So you can do that anywhere, everywhere. And I can. And I don't care. I'm fearless when it comes to asking people's names. But when I think about, you know, and I always ask in the church, how many extroverts are there? And they always like, oh, I'm an extrovert. And I ask all the introverts, and they're like, um, I'm, I guess I'm an introvert. You know, but reality is introverts are great at reaching introverts. You ever thought about that? I mean, really, they're like, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? Sure, I'd love to go have a cup of coffee. A little, little, little quiet moment, you know, an extrovert's like, hey, dude, what's going on? They're like, Dude, you're way too strong for me. Get out of my world space. Say amen, introverts. But the reality is if God made you an introvert, that means that he's given you a gift that you can reach other introverts with the gospel. Amen? And that there are introverts who are dying for an introvert to come up and just say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Sure, I'd love to get a cup of coffee. You know, just in that quiet little one-on-one space, God wants to use introverts to reach introverts. Amen? And so when we become friends with the lost, you just simply say, what's your name? Second question I like to ask is, where are you from? And you try to find points of contact, points of relativeness. You know, you say, you know, like, where are you from? Like, I'm from Idaho. It's like, dude, I love potatoes. You know, like, uh, okay, good. You know, 
But it's just, you know, you try to find some relevant way to connect with them. And then the last question I asked, what would we ask if we were Americans typically? What's that third question? What do you do? But that's just such a dumb question. Let me just say it's dumb. What do you do? Well, I do business. I do, you know, whatever. I don't even, I can't even think what we do. But what I love to ask, and it's kind of like David Eldridge's thing, is what are you passionate about? You know, it's, it's David's way of saying, what's your deal? But if you said that out in the general public, they'd be like, what are, you, what are you talking about my deal? I don't even know what my deal is. But if you say, what are you passionate about? I mean, if I were to ask you guys, how many, how many of you guys, maybe some girls, watched three to five hours of football yesterday? Let me just see your hands. How about them dogs? How about them war eagles? How about those bees last night, you know? I mean, this is like, you get in those things, it's like, oh man, did you see? I mean, I see Bill Tanner and I know... The Tanner family is like, they're soaked in Auburn football. You know, it's like, don't get them on Auburn football or you'll just be cornered for an hour. But people are, you know, passionate about food. Who's passionate about food? Just love, I love food. People are coming to me now and go, Mosley, I can really tell you love food in America now. You're looking good. You know, but some people just love food. They love talking about food and how you mix, you know, cheeses and making recipes and People love that music. How many people love music? You know, talk about, you know, all kinds of music. And I mean, you can talk to all kinds of people about what they listen to. And, you know, like if I try to talk to people about music and they go into the secular world, I'm like, dude, I have no idea what that means. You know, and, and yet those are points of contact when you can begin to relate to people. If you're passionate about something and you just listen to what their passion is, you can interact with them and you can get to know them a little bit and you're not taking a Bible and cramming it down their throat. You know what I'm talking about? And one of my favorite kinds of people to to talk to are people who are tattooed. I'm not advocating tattoos. Maggie, listen carefully. Not advocating tattoos. But when you see people who are tatted up, they always have a story. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're in the restaurant and you see somebody serving you and they got like this whatever on their arm and they're and all you got to do is say tell me what that means and you got them and they're just like oh man when I was 18 and I was whatever and they just tell this story and then you can listen and allow the Holy Spirit to use that story so that you can share about your life and share about what's going on in your life and you say you know I don't have any tattoos but I can tell you about a time when something powerful happened in my life and I didn't get tattooed, but like God, sorry about the spit, David, but, but God tattooed my heart or, some, you know, just some way. But, you know, we've lost that sense of just asking three simple questions to get to know lost people. What's your name? Where are you from? What are you passionate about? And then I kind of lied because it's not just three questions. You can do one of two things after that. After you've kind of gotten to know them on a surface level, you can say, if they're local and you're around this area, hey, I go to a pretty cool happening church. I'd love to invite you to come to my church. If you've never gone to a church or if you don't have a church home, please come to my church. And they can say, I hate church. Forget you. I don't really care about that. And you're like, that's cool. And then the last thing that I say to them is, hey, it was great to meet you. Is there anything I can pray with you about or pray for you about? And I promise you, men and women, Rarely ever have I ever had anyone say, I don't want to be prayed for. I don't care if they're Muslim, Hindu, pagan, it doesn't matter. People 
when you say, can I pray for you, there's something inside the heart of humanity that says, somebody's reaching out to me. Somebody really cares about me. Somebody really loves me. I'll never forget, I was in uh, coming home from Ghana one time flying on Delta, and uh, I knew the lady that was in charge of the Delta thing, and she bumped me up to business class, and it was good. And uh, as I'm sitting there in the airplane, there's this family of three that gets on the airplane, and I'd seen them earlier, and they just looked um, not gnarly, but just kind of like they were still in their pajamas, you know? And uh, so I'm sitting down, and it's a teenage girl and her mother and this guy, and the guy was the stepdad. And so I was talking to them, and because I love Ghana, I said, well, what brings you to my Ghana? Why were you in my Ghana? And they're like, it's your Ghana? And I said, yeah, but you don't understand that. But I was talking to him, and he said, well, my daughter, stepdaughter, is Selena Gomez. And I was like, okay. Um, who's that? And she said, he said, well, it's like the Hannah Montana. She's like the Hispanic Hannah Montana. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard of that name. And she's Wizards of Waverly or whatever. And I was like, uh-huh, okay, good. And so, you know, come to find out, you know, she's this big star. She dates Justin Bieber now, by the way. That's pretty cool, I guess. But so, you know, I'm on the airplane, and she's over there cuddled up with her mother in their PJs, and they're in their own world. And I'm not like, you know, I don't even know you. And I'm, so I'm talking to this guy, and he's playing games, and I'm watching movies. And we just interact a little bit. And I said, well, how long have you been married to Selena's mom? She said, two or three years. And they were talking. And, and for whatever reason, he got on to that they, hadn't, they wanted to get pregnant. And I just said, in my spirit, I didn't do like this, but I was like, I love praying for fruit of the womb. I love praying for babies, you know. And he's like, um, I said, do you mind? I said, I, I travel all over the world. I, I usually tell people I'm a priest because they get that more than, you know, just a pastor. And so I just said, I'm a priest. And, and I said, do you mind if I prayed for you? Because I love praying for people who are having a hard time getting pregnant. And he goes, sure. And I said, can I pray for you right now? And so he's like, okay. So right there in Delta, in business class at 36,000 feet, I prayed for Selena Gomez's stepdad to have a baby, you know. And so I hadn't been tracking Selena. You guys can keep up with me and let me know if she has a half-sister or brother. But, you know, it's just a simple way of me getting to know somebody without cramming the gospel down their throat. Maybe it was the first time that somebody ever prayed with a guy. I don't know. And I didn't leave there thinking, you know, oh, I shared Christ with Selena Gomez's father, you know, father, stepfather. You know, I did, when we landed in New York, I called Maggie and I said, Maggie, um, you know who Selena Gomez is? Said, Daddy, are you kidding? You know, so I went over and I said, could you give me an autograph from my daughter, Maggie? She's still got the piece of paper. I've seen it, you know, where Selena wrote Maggie a note. If you guys want to see it, she'll show it to you sometime. But, but men and women, back to the point, the reality is Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and I just want to challenge you that, that you would, Get out of the condemnation that you're not qualified and that God would put a new passion in your heart and, and would equip you to begin to make friends with lost people. And you'd ask those three simple questions no matter where you are in the world. God will use those so that you can begin to build bridges and you can leave the baptizing up to David and to Brandon and to whomever. You know, this church is my home church and I've baptized like two or three babies of kids in this church. This is like my place where I come and do baptisms. They're usually like on Thursday night at 6 if you ever want to come in on it, you know. My buddy who's in New York who I've been friends with for a long time and uh, 
one of my kids in the youth group who now lives in Tokyo, Japan. I've gotten to baptize those two babies, and it's just one of those great pleasures. But men and women, God's calling us to make friends with lost people. And when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, go and make friends with the world, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. My prayer for you, first piece is, God would give you a passion to begin to make friends with the lost people in the world that he's given you to interact with. Are there lost people around you? Hello? That's a question. Usually, you know, you just say, yeah, there are lost people around us. Where you, where you work, in your, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, I, I believe there's probably lost people around you. Amen? And that God would give you a holy boldness, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, to just ask three simple questions, not cram the Bible down their throat. People are tired of having the Bible crammed down their throat. Wouldn't you agree? People are longing for somebody just to love them right where they are, listen to them, listen to their passion, and just be who you are in their lives. Amen? Second piece I want to give you is Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said these were his very last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I think we've, once again, church, we've kind of neglected this piece that Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And if you look at this passage from Acts 1.1 to Acts 1.8, it tells a story, you know, Luke saying, my dear Theophilus and the things that Jesus did and Jesus is sitting at the table and he says, Go and wait for me in Galilee and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit as my Father, as I taught you about it. And then, you know what's interesting? Do you know what the disciples' last question was to Jesus? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel to us? And men and women, if I could ever see of an of a epidemic, of a, of a sickness in the church... It is that we have the same mentality as these disciples. They lived with Jesus for three years. They saw him do ministry day in and day out. They saw him raise the dead, lay hands on the sick, all those things, die on a cross, rise again. And their last question was, when are you going to give us back our power? When are you going to give us back our people? When are you going to slay the Romans? When are you going to kill these oppressors? When are you going to be our king like we want you to be our king? And God says, it's not for you to know the time or the place. If it was me and I was Jesus, I would have slain every disciple right then and there. You bunch of idiots. What is wrong with you? You know? Jesus, full of grace. He says, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. But, that's a huge, I call it the biggest but in the Bible. But, forget all those things that you've said. Forget all that. But, you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Men and women, God longs for you to be friends with the world. God longs for you to be filled with power by the Holy Spirit and to be His witness. And when you receive that Holy Spirit, God will compel you to be His witness. It won't be something where you're handcuffed or put in prison or you have to carry around a 40-pound Bible. God so transforms your heart that you are passionate about sharing His great good news. Amen? Would you bow your heads and pray with me right now? God in heaven, I bless you and thank you for this church. Thank you for my brother David and Brandon and just the, the times that we've had growing up together in these past several years. And Lord, I thank you for Kim and for her leadership here and for Penny and all the people that volunteer here at Stonebridge. God, I pray that today your word would truly be, as it says in Hebrews 4, sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder, to the joints and marrow, to the very discerning of our thoughts. That God, your word would penetrate us, that we would no longer make excuses or condemn ourselves, but that we would begin to make friends with the world. Not to compromise our virtue or our integrity or our Christianity, but to begin to be passionate about loving people in the world and sharing with them the great good news of who you are and how you long to give them hope and peace and passion. And Lord, I pray that we would corporately and individually say, Holy Spirit, come, fill my life. I want to experience your power. I want to be your witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So Holy Spirit, you would quicken in us that passion to allow you to, to infuse us in everything we do and say and think according to your riches and glory. We ask you to do this by the power of your blood shed on Calvary. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Brandon, preach. Ha, ha, ha.